1: Your Ben Show for Thursday, September 2nd. is just moments away. But before we do this, we have to thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor are sponsors, the Chicago Teachers Union. They sponsor this program. And Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more. ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A V is in victory S-K-Y and you can become a binhead. It is Thursday, September 2nd and live from my apartment and his attic this is the Ben Jarofsky Show on the program, our dear friend Sam Holloway returns, and in these times, writer Miles Kampf Lassen. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist,
2: Ben Jarofsky. Hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Crazy Texas Thursday, and here's why. Because it's Thursday and Texas is crazy, that's why. To those Texas passed a law essentially, essentially outlawing the rights of women to have an abortion on the grounds that there's a greater good at stake, protecting unborn lives. Then they turn right around and pass a law that mandates no more mandates. <laughs> no mandates for vaccines and masks, even though by doing that, they were very much endangering born lives. So the life of an unborn is sacred, and the life of the born is tough luck, kid. In the case of the mandates, they've been upholding the sacred liberties of Americans to do what they want with their bodies. No matter what the doctors tell you, they're upholding that principle that people should have a personal choice as to what they do with health care. Even if what they do, what they choose to do with their bodies, endangers the lives of other people. But what matters is they have a personal choice. So one more time, I mentioned this yesterday. They use the language of the pro-choice movement to uphold their sacred liberties, and then they turn right around and deny women their sacred liberties. So apparently, some liberties are sacred, and other liberties are not so sacred. Once again, I'd like to point out, there are no principles to the Republican Party and MAGA. There are only tactics. And I ask you, How can you have a civilized discussion with a Republican or a MAGA person who doesn't believe in anything? Someone who will make one declaration one day, even if it contradicts a different declaration they made the day before. The short answer is you cannot have a civilized discussion with such MAGA members and Republicans. It's all about, about brute force. Are they being hypocrites, these Republicans down in Texas? Of course they are. At which point, I will now quote a very dear friend of mine on this subject. This dear friend told me just the other day, and I quote, Ben, fascists don't care if you call them hypocrites. Fascists don't care if they are hypocrites. Fascists only care about winning. End of quote. And right now, it looks like the fascists are winning. We got a great show today, everybody. The dear friend whom I quoted, is one Sam Holloway. Yes, he told me that on Sunday. And I I, I wrestle with my conscience, folks. Would I just steal that quote and pretend I came up with it, or would I give just Sam Holloway credit? It was 50-50, Sam Holloway, but I decided to give you credit. Uh, joining me uh, at one thirty, joining us, I think Sam will stick around, uh, another great lefty, Miles Conflassen, uh, ace journalist for In These Times. He'll be talking about his uh, latest article which is must read, I, I think, about taxing the rich. The pitchforks are coming. It's called. So we're going to broaden the discussion. Uh, but Sam, first of all, welcome back to the show. Thank uh, you, it's ben. a pleasure to let everybody else hear our conversation as opposed to you and me just railing and ranting at each other for about an hour <laughs> and a half.
0: <laughs> well, we won't have that much time today anyway.
2: Hello, Dennis. Hey, how's it going? Yeah. Hey. <laughs> you Good poor to see Dennis you just. You, ben. Uh, so uh, anyway. Um, I just want to start off by saying one thing that I do whenever Sam's on the show. And Sam says I don't have to say this, but I feel compelled to say it out of uh, guilt. (laughs) Sam Holloway is a firefighter for the city of Chicago. Uh, Yes, that's his day job, but he's also a citizen of the United States of America. And last I looked, everybody from Joe Rogan. Uh, To Abbott, Governor Abbott of Texas, uh, to Governor DeSantis of Florida, to Donald Trump. We're upholding the rights of people like Sam Holloway to say what they want on a public airwaves like this show without retribution. Hear that city of Chicago? Now, Sam, I know you don't think I need to say that whenever you come on my show, but I always say it anyway. I don't know if that's going to protect you. Well, I got,
0: I got, I got access to legal, legal uh, advice. If my union, whatever my union can't protect me from, I got a guy.
2: Oh, okay. I got a guy. I like that. <laughs> uh, so I don't know who the guy is, but I may need to employ the same guy before it's all. Said. <laughs> That's uh, fine. All right, so Sam Holloway uh, is uh, to the left on the political spectrum, and as such, it's generally views like Sam's that never make their way uh, anywhere near uh, the mainstream media. So I uh, welcome to him to this show. Uh, I reached out to Sam when I got what was it? I think it was the email that I received over the weekend, or a text I received over the weekend that had a link uh, to a um, a website. Uh, Sam, that was uh, presented in the names of public service employees, including firefighters and cops, uh, calling on everybody to join their crusade to uphold the sacred liberties of public service employees, not to be forced to have the vaccine. Now, Sam, I had to hear what you had to say. You're a public service employee. Uh, You're a (laughs) firefighter. You're not afraid to speak your mind. Um, so we'll start with uh, a very general question. What do you make of this growing movement on the part of your uh, brothers and sisters in the fire department and in the police department and in other, I guess, uh, areas of uh, uh, public employment who are saying they are going to resist any attempt to make them get the vaccine?
0: Uh, my my belief is fundamentally it has very little to do with the safety of the vaccine. Um, it's a power play. Now, in in any case, when you're dealing with fascists and proto-fascists and crypto-fascists, people to the, the that end of the r- right wing of the spectrum, there are many, many people who are going to bury themselves in the park, who will convince themselves, by the time they actually open their mouths, they will have convinced themselves that they are sincere. Um, but rest assured, if you are somehow able to follow the money behind the organizing, and this is an organized campaign, um, we, we call that astroturf on the left. You know, the gra- there's grassroots organizing, and then there's astroturf, where the rich fascists have their, you know, they have their numerous little uh, right-wing noise machine outlets, propaganda mills, and there's all sorts of ways to funnel money and, and, and uh plant these ideas out there Um, so that if you dig into this, I'm sure you'll find some connections to something like that. Um, So whoever's behind that, their goal is just pure power. It's a power play. Um, It it need not even be specific. There may not even need to be a specific goal, but when you have a liberal or in this case, a neoliberal mayor, um, what, and I can't for the life of me figure out what she was thinking or what her brain trust was thinking in doing this, but whatever, that's not he's neither here nor there at this point. Um, they've drawn a line in the sand. And that is an opportunity for the right wing to score a point, and they are scoring right now. They are going to score even more if this, if this drags out. Uh, and, I, again, it ha- has very little to do with vaccine safety. It's the last I heard, I don't know how reliable these figures are, but the membership of my u- union, about 60%, is, has been completely vaccinated. So none of us have grown an extra head on, sh- on our shoulders. Or, <laughs> um, no, no one's died uh, from a reaction to the vaccine, which is infinitesimally, infinitesimally, what's the word infinitesimally possible. Mm-hmm. There are a very, it's a very rare thing. There are people who do have a reaction to the vaccine. There are people who probably should cannot safely take the vaccine, but they are extremely rare. And as the last I've heard, no one has had a problem with them. We've had a lot of exposures. We've had some people get very sick. We've had several people die from COVID. Uh, I don't know about family members, and I don't, that sort of thing, but I'm just talking about Actual sworn members on the fire department. So to to say that you're concerned about the safety of the vaccine, and let's and, and I told you this the other day, Ben. To me, the litmus test is this, and these guys know it. They have to know it. There's very few of them are that stupid to not know this. Anything like this, a vaccine, a medication, anything that's given to rich white people and rich white people take it, the then you know the pharmaceutical companies must believe it's safe. <laughs> And if the rich white and, and here's the thing, if the rich white people keep taking it, yeah. that's how you know it's safe. Yeah. So I'm not buying the fact that they they have good reason to believe it's not safe. I don't buy that bullshit. That's that's total bullshit to me. So to me, this isn't about the vaccine. It and to cut to the chase, because I know we have a limited amount of time, uh-huh. if it's not about vaccine safety, what is it about? Yeah. It's about you can't tell me what to do there and i read a uh, i don't know if it was the washington post but it was some major news outlet had a had a story a print outlet and they had a guy it wasn't in chicago but it was somewhere in pennsylvania or something they interviewed a guy who was practically on his deathbed from covid and the nurse was sitting there asking him why why didn't you he says i just didn't want to be told what to do and there that 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 is not. the Again, let's let's flip back to the people who are behind this—the big money people who are probably have get, at least given this a push. They don't care about that. Some of them have probably taken the vaccine, and they're going to take the booster whenever they can get their hands on it. You know, they're distancing or whatever whenever they should. Probably some of them. Probably. Some of them. But
2: I would say all of them. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs>
0: they're, no, there there are actually a few true believers among the rich. Believe me, there there are a few nut jobs out there. That are, well, I shouldn't use that term, but. Um, There are a few zealots among the wealthy, like the one guy, that former CIA guy who was behind one of the movers and shakers behind QAnon, who who was out there spreading these wild rumors about the vaccine. He died from COVID. And to to his last breath, he was denying that that it was an issue, that this isn't COVID, this is something else. But anyway, but uh, again, this isn't about vaccine safety. It really isn't. It's fundamentally about power. It's yeah. about you can't tell us what to do. And by, um, because again, 60% of us have taken it. Uh, and we're fine. Uh, and, well, you know, it, there may have been some breakthrough cases like people who gotten vaccinated and still caught, you know, because we have all these variants because we didn't shut down for six weeks. Like we should have, like they did in, in Wuhan. Uh, We, you know, we didn't actually fully shut down and we never have. So we've been mingling. These viruses have been mingling at our, you know, and, and getting stronger and stronger. So there are going to be some breakthrough cases, but that's not, that's not the same thing as saying the vaccine doesn't work. It does, but it only is, it's only supposed to serve a a purpose. Mm -hmm. It's a preventive.
2: All right. Now let me, let me, let me let me back up uh, yes. and, and and get you uh, to get a little more specific of what you were you mean. Uh, so we'll uh, hold off. Uh, it's a power play. You can't tell us what to do for the moment and go back to something you said about uh, Lori Lightfoot uh, for reasons. You said you don't understand her, her rationale why the neoliberal did this. Uh, so were you when you said that? Uh, saying disagree with Lori Lightfoot's mandate uh, that all city employees should ha- have the vaccine by uh, October fifteenth.
0: Um. <sighs> yes, it's a yes, but I, 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 I believe here's the problem. Um, again, let me, let me, let me. I'm going to have to give you another example. Uh, in 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 China. They were able to contain this thing without vaccines because they have a public health infrastructure. They have a a political culture where the goal was to stop the vaccine. Um, Now we call that authoritarian. I've seen newspapers call it, what's the word? uh, Despotic authoritarian, their approach, but it was effective. Fewer people were getting sick and dying. And they were able to go party in the streets while we were, you know, we, we were approaching 600,000 dead and counting, you know. Um, so I, I guess what I'm, I'm, I'm puzzled. Um, because we didn't do anything else. We're trying to to say the vaccine will save us, but it can't. Because we have no public health infrastructure. Not everyone's, and if you're, and I, I hesitate to, to uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't because we're dealing with fascists here. Um, I honestly think there are some people who want this thing to really go nuts. They want a Delta, a Epsilon, and Omega variant. They want this thing to kill people. I, 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 don't think I'm, I don't think I'm wrong there. Because look who were the first people to die in large numbers. Poor people. Predom- and, and disproportionately black and brown people. And when that came out, that's when you started seeing the calls to open up. They, stop these shutdowns. Stop this open, And who was out there doing it? It was petty bourgeois white people, primarily, and, and white adjacent. Uh, because they saw it's not us dying. It's those people. And we don't care about those people. So I want my kids to go to school. I want to go out and eat. Yeah. You're, you're, you're keeping me from what I want to do to save those people. Yeah. And I and, and I'm not going to automatically make that connection to what's going on here in Chicago. But believe me, I've heard it all. The public uh, schools were when the public schools were, were shut down when they all went to remote. You know, most of the firefighters, I would say at least half have their kids in, in Catholic schools. Um, I think the Catholic schools opened a lot quicker. Yeah, they were open the public school. Yeah. Uh,
2: oh, oh, okay. So uh, I, I have no doubt about what, about what you said. I s- said pretty much the same thing uh, last kind uh, of about a year ago, but the reality is Sam people made uh, calculations in their mind and uh, Joe Rogan did this, Joe Rogan, the, the, the cast host, <laughs> uh, the most popular I podcast. What, I don't
0: want to think about the calculations. In Joe Rogan's mind, but please continue. Okay, so um,
2: <laughs> so Joe Rogan, who just came down with COVID and uh, apparently is going to be okay, uh, the most popular podcaster in America. I'd like to point out uh, far dwarfs my uh, my humble little podcast in my attic overlooking the porta potty. Um, so I'm not here to criticize a giant in the industry like Joe Rogan. Simply point out that I listen to Joe Rogan and I see the calculation that he and his guests were making, and the calculation that he and his guests were making was along these lines, it's only old people, sick people, out of shape people, black people that are dying of this thing. That was a calculation that people were making It was a rough. You don't have to be a scientist, Sam, to take a look at those early news articles and just make sort of a rough calculation in your mind. And then you dismiss it as a reality, as something that you have to worry about. And I do believe you're absolutely correct that after about three or four or five weeks or so, uh, MAGA in general came to the same calculation that Joe Rogan came to and did and said, you know what? I'm not go- going to uh, have to deny myself, what, going to church or going to the grocery store or going to the bar. No, most likely it was a bar, you know, just to, to keep some old black guy from dying in a nursing home. And, and that well, was a calculation that MAGA made. Uh, and there, I don't know, maybe Joe Rogan will sing a different song now that, you know, he apparently has escaped. I doubt of it. A,
0: I, I doubt it. He's probably, he says, I, I, I'm strong. I survived. I deserve to live. COVID can't beat me. Yeah. And, and, and I'm going to tell you this, Ben. Um, I always, until we destroy fascism, I'm <laughs> talking happen in my lifetime, but uh, the fascists will always have the home, home field advantage here. Because what are these guys saying? They're saying the same thing that Patrick Henry said. Give me liberty or give me death. And the key word is, is we have to, we have to, to um, interrogate that concept of liberty. Yes. And and look at it the way Patrick Henry would have. Well, Patrick Henry was a slaveholder. Not only was he a slaveholder, but he was a slaveholder in a brand new country that was being in the still in the process of being stolen by a, a campaign of genocide against the indigenous inhabitants. So, that's the kind of liberty we're talking about. All right. Liberty now let's for-
2: let's. Let's just go back to the whole concept of liberty, and we'll go back to you can't tell me what to do. And this baffles me, and I said this to you Sunday when we we talked for an hour and a half, and I've still not seen an answer to this. And I, uh, oh, poor Sam, I subjected him. I sent him the link to the website, which he's probably correct, <laughs> he's being financed by some right wing Republican interests that is using this as a wedge issue. Just telling you this, union members, they're using this as a wedge issue to divide you from your union leadership so that effectively you'll vote for some dumbass Republican who will appoint uh, oh, commissioners oh. to the oversight boards that govern labor disputes and take away your powers. So, oh, oh, Join, hold on. Hold on.
0: I have to correct you for a second there. Before you go any further with that concept, Ben, you're talking about firefighters and cops? Yeah. They're, 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 they don't have to be separated from their union leadership. The vast majority of these union members are probably Trump supporters, right wing. I know the cops are. That's why they elect who they do. not and, and this is nothing against Tracy, our union mem- our union president. I, I think the way he's handling this, given the circumstances, is actually really smart. I don't think there was a better way for him to handle it. I I really don't. I mean, that's what I said. It was a
2: wedge issue that was intended to divide uh, the rank and file and and cause a fight within the union. Uh, And I don't think it's causing a fight.
0: I I don't think the fight will be within the union. That's not where the fight is. The fight is, um, how should I put it? I don't actually. And this is this is interesting that you should characterize it as a fight because. I'm trying to figure out who's on what side here, because who is Lori Lightfoot trying to protect with a vaccine mandate? No way, and I can't believe she didn't, can she be that obtuse or arrogant to not see this coming?
2: Yes. <laughs> okay, I've been following Chicago awesome. mayors for a long time, Sam Holloway, and I'm not saying that it has created a fight necessarily. And I do think right. that uh, uh, Tracy did it. Well, he's far more skillful than Katnissara. Yes, uh, oh, he, he's very he, uh, was, yeah, Tracy's and a he, smart guy. Yeah, he's walking a fine line. So is Bob Ryder of the Federation. They're walking a very fine line because they realize it's an explosive issue. And if they go too far in favor of mandates, they're going to alienate some members of their union. And so it's a it's a very fine line. And the other side will keep pushing it because they this is a wedge issue. It's it's so clear. Yeah. Now, let me go back to the, uh, the, the, the concept of liberty, because this is something I asked you on Sunday. And I really can't still don't understand it. Uh, you can't tell me what to do. And Sam, my immediate reaction was, and I've been saying this endlessly to every cop and firefighter I know, they tell you what to do all the time. They make you pee into a cup. What is more intrusive than that? Why do you buy into that? Why do you allow the city to tell you, you have to subject to random drug testing to make sure you're not smoking reefer, which by the way, last I looked was legal in the state of, in the state of Illinois. Right. And so you 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 do not get offended to that. But if they make you take a vaccine that's intended to protect the public health and last I look, police and firefighters are supposed to be all about protecting the public health. That's why they exist. And that's the line that can't be crossed. Please help me, Sam. Why can they why do cops and firefighters accept the cities telling them what to do when it comes to drug tests, but not when it comes to man uh, vaccines? Well, I think you started. You mentioned something which I think is very important here. Uh, drugs are seen
0: as, and this this goes back to the origins of the drug war. This is why we have a drug war. It's not about the drug war was never about public safety. Drug testing is not about public safety. Um, I mean, if you were, you'd only be testing for alcohol, or you just would be giving sobriety tests because you know how it is. I could smoke weed. I could do, a, you know a few lines of coke, and be completely sober when I show up to work. But if they test me, they'll find out that I've done it. Now, personally, this is my personal belief. I don't give a shit what drugs you do. If you show up to work sober, I don't care. But the city disagrees. But that tells me that it's not about public safety. Now, that's that's someone fighting the drug war and using us because we're a captive audience. And because most of these guys are on to the right of the political spectrum, they go for it. And this is something you started to say. They go for it because they agree with, on some level or other, they agree with the fundamental goals of the drug war, which is not to keep the public safe, but it's to keep keep the lefties down, keep the poor people down, keep the brown people down. That's what the drug war is all about. And if they got to go pee in a cup, to keep that going, uh, as a condition of employment, eh, okay, we'll buy it.
2: Uh, uh, very, but but very, this, but, the, yeah.
0: but this vaccine thing, yeah. Again, uh, and again, I, I can't take credit for that statement about the fascists. I, I poached it from Nina Illingworth, who I'm always uh, hyping with good reason, and I always will. But uh, anyway, this the less something makes sense, the less an issue makes sense, yeah. the more powerful, the more reason it is for them to jump on it. Because if they win something that makes absolutely no sense, think about how powerful that is. The, 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 the less logical their position is, the, the more potent, the more meaningful the victory. And, and the thing about fascists is, they have a sixth sense for liberal hypocrisy because without liberal hypocrisy there would be no fascism. I mean, I, and and I thought about this about, you know, about an hour before you you called me today. Um, to to me, this gets back into the concept of Liberty and what this country is really all about and liberal hypocrisy and how it's, it just feeds fascism. You know, it's, it's like a closed loop there. I don't know if you remember this, but there was, This time where Mike Pence went to this play. He was in the audience. And I don't know that they announced his name or whatever, but everybody in the audience booed him.
2: It was Hamilton.
0: Yes. So you have all these rich liberals (laughs) sitting for a musical play, which is a historical abomination because it whitewashes a, a period of time where, where, where this genocidal campaign run by slaveholders was kicking in the high gear. And, and what is the Declaration of Independence but selling King George and, and the parliament, you can't tell me what to do? Have you read that thing? We, when they talk about uh, the, the merciless savages and when they talk about uh, the king or whatever was inspiring insurrections among us, wh- what do you think they were talking about when they used that term insurrections? slave revolts yeah so and there's some schools of thought and i tend to agree with them that the the revolutionary war the war for independence if if king george and the parliament had said you know what take the whole land if you want have as as many slaves as you want whatever you got to do do what you want just send us some money that we would we would be british subjects today
2: yeah. <laughs> Wait, Sam, hold on. But you you, you went on a great riff, uh, but a riff nonetheless. A, a tangent from your point about the the rich liberals in New York booing Mike. Okay, Pence. but but
0: see, but see, when they sit in that audience to see Hamilton, how can they boo Mike Pence? Mike Pence is a is sort of like a goofy kind of fascist or a proto fascist or whatever. I mean, he's a he's a vile character, a dangerous character because he you know came to power. But who are they? What are they doing? They're sitting there praising the origins of guys like Mike Pence. Mike Pence would have fit in with the founders. <laughs> and yeah. and so, so you can't have a Mike Pence. You wouldn't have a Mike Pence without that foundation that these people are in, in a backhanded hypocritical way, celebrating. Yeah. It just it, it just and to me it made... It was like the, the chef's kiss of liberal hypocrisy. You're sitting in a, in a fucking audience about to watching Hamilton and you're booing this guy. Yeah. He's, he fits in with the guys you're celebrating on stage. Yeah. Now granted, they've been whitewashed for your, for your hypocritical consumption, but we all know what they were. All right. You can't so, tell me yeah. you don't know.
2: All right, so there's hypocrisy on both sides, absolutely. And there's and it's easy for uh, each side to point out the hypocrisy on the other side. Right. Uh, And uh, my issue with the right. Well, first of all, my issue with the far left is uh, they fall too easily into the category of only wanting to point out the hypocrisy of Dems. And there's a larger fight going on here, Sam, in our country right now, a fundamental fight. And right now, to win that fight, we need Dems. And so if all you're going to do is bash Dems, and uh, I had Jimmy Dore in this show uh, a couple of weeks ago. We got into this argument because uh, Jimmy Dore, the um, far left uh, podcaster, very popular on the Joe Rogan show many times, was essentially saying that the, as far as he could tell, uh, the only injustices that matter, are economic injustices and the hypocrisy of people like Congressman Adam Schiff taking money from the me- weapons industry far outweighs what? Like the racial injustice of the Republican Party. And I, I couldn't buy that because the racial injustice of the Republican party is very real and very toxic. I I, I think
0: that's a false choice. I I don't look at it that way. I think it it's, I look at it this way that the country is this country is, is fundamentally reactionary, uh, liberalism, um, and, and, and especially in the settler colonial context, because we are in a settler colonial state, um, it's always going to be reactionary because what, is, what was classical liberalism about? It was about uh, the individual liberties to own property. Yeah. And, that, and, and that came up, that was, you cannot divorce that from centuries of imperialism, settler colonialism, the slave trade, genocide of indigenous populations, and the theft of their land and resources. That's liberalism. I'm sorry. That's liberalism. Now.
2: Sam, everything you just said, the right would ban you from teaching in school. Just think about that. For Think about the fundamental fight that we're in. They won't even allow a teacher to talk about the racist slave origins of our country in the school because it will offend a white kid. Okay. They, but they feel that they, so the teacher has no liberty or freedom to teach what he or she knows is historical fact because it would offend a white kid. On the other hand, yeah, here's a solution for that. Here's a solution for that.
0: You have national education standards. You have
2: a national education system funded by federal dollars. And you know what, you know what the right would say if you did that? Could you hear? I could hear it because I, I listened to the. I could just hear the talking about imposing their leftist worldview on your children from f- bureaucrats in Washington who are controlled by AOC uh, and the jihadists in Congress. Well, I know their rhetoric. I know the game they play. Right. And but here's the thing. You've got majorities. When you get those
0: majorities in both houses of Congress, you've got the White House. You know what you can say to them? Fuck 'em. them. Fuck them. Good point. But And this is why we go against, because uh, we know what the Republicans are. They're fascists. They're open about it. Yeah. We know what they're going to do, but we got the Dems telling us, vote for us or you get them. Then we vote for them. I don't, but people vote for them. Yes. And what do they get? They get, Republican policies.
2: No, they and Rahm Emanuel, uh, named as a nominated to be ambassador to, to uh Japan, and then they tell us, shut up, just go <laughs> with. I, and, and yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's your points. Well, it's, t- it's,
0: it's, yeah, so, so there's no point in criticizing a rabid dog, it's the friendly dog that comes up to you that that, that and it, that's going to bite you.
2: That's the one you worry about. Yeah, well, ultimately, I'm actually more worried about the unfriendly one because they're the ones passing laws in Texas right now. They're the, it's not the friendly dogs that are passing the laws in Texas. It's the unfriendly dogs.
0: But again, why is that left to the states? Why don't we have, and you can solve this with a national health care system where anyone can go anywhere and have any medical procedure they want, and you don't have to worry about whether your state allows it. You, you can have a national law. You could pass a national law mm-hmm. saying abortion on demand is fully legal. You cannot stop it. You cannot prevent anyone from providing it. Yeah. And and if they and if they try to stop
2: you, you go after them. All right. Now, look. Uh, I think this is good a time ever to take a break. Uh, and bring Miles Kampflassen into the discussion. He's got a lot to add. We'll probably get more into the taxing side of things. And I'm going to ask Sam to stick around. I think Sam and uh, Miles will be a great combination. Uh, so we're going to take a break. And uh, so, Sam, you're going to have to check out of this uh, conversation. Okay. And Dennis will send you a new link. And Sam Holloway's Miles Kampflassen. No other show in Chicago would bring you Sam Holloway and Miles Kampflassen. I'm very proud of that. Welcome back to the Ben Jarovsky <laughs> Show live from his attic. I just promoted the fact that uh, no other show in Chicago would have uh, two lefties on it, uh, Miles Kamflassen and Sam Holloway. And Sam Holloway has joined us, Miles Kamflassen has joined us, uh, and uh, we were having a great conversation, Miles. Uh, we're talking about the hypocrisy, the left, hypocrisy, the right. That started off with the discussion of the rebellion, quote, in uh, in quotes. And uh, Sam Holloway and I are in total agreement that it's being it's an astroturf rebellion being funded by who knows who uh, to try to uh, uh, split the the labor movement on this issue of mandates, uh, vaccine mandates. And uh, so anyway, uh, that's where the kind of the conversation we've been headed. Miles, so welcome to the show, first of all. And um, good to have you back. And I just have to say one thing. I saw a documentary this weekend, which was brilliant, called Chasing Train about John Coltrane. I don't know if you're a John Coltrane fan, Miles. Um, But uh, anyway, in that documentary, one of the people testifying to the greatness of John Coltrane was a gentleman whose name I can't remember, but he's a drummer for The Doors the rock band, the doors. And they cut to a picture of Jim Morrison. This is where I'm going. And you do look like Jim Morrison. That's all I'm going to say. I whole trans. Sam's like, yeah, he does kind of look like.
3: (laughs) Anyway, miles. It was uh, John Densmore, right? Was the name of the drummer for the doors. Look, I'm stunned. Did you see this documentary or you just knew that? No, I know. I used to listen to the doors though. And I love that. Uh, the film with Phil Kilmer is, uh, uh, Jim Morrison, uh, Doors
2: biopic from back in the day. Oliver Stone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, anyway, all right. Neither here nor there. Um, God, I'd I'd love to get your thoughts. I really want to talk to you. Uh, Miles wrote a, a great article for In These Times, which he sent to me as homework to read. And I already read it. So I trumped his ace. Uh, the pitchforks are coming. And uh, Sam Holloway uh, is a leftist with the Chicago Fire Department. Miles, I told you I'd send you an article that I wrote about Sam uh, when I first met him. I was unfortunately unable to send that to you for a long, complicated story. But I'll uh, sum it up with this, and it it works right into your uh, pitchfork story. Uh, so back in 2012, uh, Rahm Emanuel feeling very powerful and almighty, uh, had decided that he was going to go from firehouse to firehouse telling fire back, backed, I should say by his bodyguards, uh, to tell firefighters that they had no choice, but they were to take pension cuts because we're facing a pension crisis and, uh, It was either pension money for firefighters or money to run our schools and clean our streets and police our streets. So there you had no choice. And he was he was going to deliver this tough message that they had to hear. And he went to this one firehouse where uh, Sam Holloway was there. And instead of taking it like all the other firefighters, because this is the boss. They'll probably send you to another state. If you dare to go against the boss? Sam Holloway, with that big lefty mouth of his, said, "Well, actually, uh, Your Honor, you do have another choice. You can impose a LaSalle Street tax on uh, the <laughs> the traders at the Mercantile Exchange, et cetera, and so forth. And you could raise billions of dollars doing that, which would be more than enough, not only to fortify our pensions, but to pay for cops, to pave to the streets, pay for schools. Man, Rom." He was like, a habita Habitat. Habita. Who is this radical commie? And uh, I, of course, wrote about it. And I just love it because that stark choice that Sam Holloway made to to Rahm Emanuel in that firehouse back in 2012, Miles Conflanson, is at the heart of what you wrote in your essay uh, that ran in In These Times just this weekend. You agree?
3: Of course. I think that for decades now, we've been under this uh, era of market fundamentalism, which is just constantly looked towards uh, market solutions to any problems, not just economic, but also social or ecological or what have you. And it's just said, you know, let's just let the private market figure this stuff out, you know. And um, as a result, we have completely gutted um, the public sector, And that means what what that's meant in practice is austerity, you know, a a massive austerity regime that just seeks to, Um, cut, cut, cut as much as we can without actually fundamentally changing uh, the dynamic that exists in our economy, which is that, you know, powerful corporations are able to raise their profits on the backs of working people through, you know, our labor being paid less, you know, productivity is going up, but wages are stagnant. And then you see, it just, you know, as Sam said in that uh, uh, event, you know, pensions and all these kind of benefits, the very meager elements of a dignified life that working people have won through years of, you know, labor, militancy and standing up for their rights, things like, a, you know, 401k or just even health insurance are all getting ripped away because we need to keep shoveling money into the to the super rich and nowhere has that been more on display than during this uh, pandemic in which the billionaire class has done phenomenally well well you know it's been a very chaotic situation to say the least for most americans not just because we've been you know uh stuck inside and kept you know, through COVID regulations, kept away from our normal social lives. But it's been so much economic distress, you know, millions of people have lost their health care in the middle of a pandemic. And yet this report that I write about in the article shows that billionaires have increased their wealth in the United States by sixty two percent since the start of the pandemic. Um, that is a massive increase for some people like Elon Musk, our, our, our boy who, you know, dreams of going and hanging out in space with uh, his partner Grimes and their weirdly named kid. They, uh, he's, made he's increased his wealth by 600% during the course of the pandemic. So um, it all is part of this same austerity regime where, you know, we're seeing on lo- the local level cuts and cuts. Um, the one bright side of all this, though, is that because of how horrible this pandemic has been, there has been some public policy which has supported uh poor and working class which we haven't seen in decades you know new programs to actually provide support so there's things like this monthly child tax credit that's now going out to parents across the country there were the direct cash payments which were great i loved getting my stimmy i'm sure most people did enjoy that uh so that was a huge help we also expanded uh you know um Uh, food stamps and other nutritional programs or the uh, eviction moratorium. So we've been, we've showed that public policy can blunt some of the pain that results for working people from the lopsided dynamic. I talked about where there's just, you know, the wealth all bubbles up to the top. It's the opposite of trickle down, you know, and, 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 uh, actual everyday Americans get left uh, stranded there's an alternative to that and it's been put on display but unfortunately our economy is still dominated by the super rich and they therefore have outsized political power and influence too so i think if we want to solve that and kind of lower the absurd levels of inequality that exists in our country and provide you know an actual equitable solution to some of these crises then we need to very much change our approach from that market Fundamentalist uh, vision of how the economy should work to something that's more focused on redistribution of wealth from the top down.
2: All right. Uh, So before I bring Sam into this uh, conversation, let me ask you this: Uh, You talk about the pitchforks are coming. That's the headline of the story and the (laughs) the article. Go ahead. Well,
3: there is the Pitchfork Music Festival is also coming next weekend, but that's not what the article was about. Just to clear that. It's a different kind of pitchfork.
2: Just to be clear. Wait wait a minute. Hold on. That caught me off guard. There's (laughs) like Lollapalooza. Wait, see, oh, this goes back to the last guy. I can't even get a coherent thought out. Sam's laughing at me because he knows where I'm going with this. I mean, the mixed messages that this city sends out. I don't pay attention, Miles, to, ro- to rock and roll festivals. You know that it's an ongoing joke in this show. I don't, uh, and so I don't pay attention to Lala, Palooza, or Pitchfork. But seriously, if we're going to mandate vaccines for city workers and deal with the blowback the political blowback of that. How can we, in the same hand, turn around and justify uh, an outdoor concert, feel when people are just face to face? Please explain that to me, Miles Conflaesen.
3: Well, I am no, I I think that the city is uh, just a constant stream of hypocrisy is what has been coming out of city hall and out of the public health department. So there is no way I can explain it or defend it or what have you. I think that as was the case with Alapalooza, there's some contracts in place. People are expecting to get paid and they're going to make sure they get paid, you know, COVID or no COVID. And so unfortunately, and this is often the case, you know, the people that are going to these concerts are the ones that are less concerned about getting this disease or even spreading it. But of course the people that are actually going to be most impacted are um, those who, you know, not just that are vaxxed, that don't haven't chosen to get the vaccine, but young kids too. Right. That are um, that are unable to get the vaccine. And, you know, that's not the nature of community spread. So um, yeah, I cannot explain. I do think the fact that outside is good. You know, the city did say that there was only like a couple hundred cases that came out of Lollapalooza which brought together like almost half a million people so but then again that's you know relying on them and they're not really tracking breakthrough cases so you know what are we it's, it's hard to way, know. 200
2: what's cool. is 200. Yeah. I, I don't want to go down this path but Dennis and I had a field day with last week it's like they go oh it's only 200. I'm like could you imagine if a right-wing rally had 200 the the attention that would be put out like if Trump did a rally in Alabama God help. Well, he just did a rally in Alabama and there were 200 cases. And then all just all the I would be saying that's outrageous. 200 people go. They can affect one other person. That's suddenly it's 400. You know what I'm saying? So I, I remember when when uh, they had they dragged that poor health commissioner, they dragged her around to say whatever. Lightfoot. Lori- <laughs> And anyway, all right. Neither here nor there. I'm going to tangent. Uh, but the pitchforks that you were talking about that are coming are not, of course, or metaphorical pitchforks, if you yeah. will, of uh, people demanding that uh, wealthy people pay their fair share so that the Sam Holloways of the world uh, do not have to give up their pensions in order uh, to see that the streets are paid. That's effectively the pitchforks you're talking about. Correct. <laughs>
3: exactly and in fact there's a different report i didn't really talk about in that article but put out by a similar organization Americans for Tax Fairness that said if we just levy a one time 99% tax only on the wealth that billionaires have made through the during the course of the pandemic because as i you know said before they increased the wealth by um uh, 1.8 trillion dollars overall, 62% their wealth. If we just levy a one-time 99% tax on that wealth, so we're leaving people to be rich as hell. You know, they still get their yachts and their super yachts or whatever. It just trims a little bit off of their pandemic wealth. We could pay to not only vaccinate every um, person in the on the globe. You know, to to build out the infrastructure to pay for vaccines and distribute to every person across the globe, which would actually you know stop these variants from arising because. Obviously, a pandemic is a global issue. It needs a global solution. Uh, but then it would also lift uh, tens of thousands of workers out of poverty by just that one tax. Because if we redistributed it into, you know, people's, um, the, uh, the, the rest of the country's wealth, which we could do. You know, this kind of stuff has been done before. Taxation and top marginal tax rates. That's, you know, throughout our history, we have uh, done that when we've been facing social crises and economic crises. We just haven't done it recently, you know, because the 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 neoliberals have been in charge for a long time and their core belief is that we cannot impact we cannot do any harm to the richest people because that will you know cause harm to the rest of society somehow um so we do have solutions that are available and certainly there's already legislation out there you know um Bernie Sanders has proposed uh, massively increasing the estate tax, which only applies to wealth after people have passed away. But that's the only way we're really going to redistribute these huge fortunes. You know, the generational wealth that exists in this country is if we have a higher estate tax, we could implement that. There's a wealth tax Elizabeth Warren has has, uh, promoted. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has said raise the top marginal rate up to 70% uh, from where it is now, all these things could be done. They're not, you know, radical solutions. They're just ways to deal with a completely lopsided economy. Um, and during a global health crisis, you'd think that this would be the time that we would take up such kind of action.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sam, uh, what are your thoughts when you hear this? You're the man who confronted, uh, mayor neoliberal face. -face. Uh, yeah, go ahead.
0: I, I, I'm, I'm still thinking about pitchforks and I think, um, I, I, Miles, I, I confess, I have not yet read the article. I will do that as soon as I, we log off here. Uh, cause it sounds fantastic. Um, all I'm thinking about is tiki torches and, uh, it, it, there's, there's a perception and there has been, I mean, there've been several organized, more or less organized uprisings. Um, you know, the George Floyd, the post George Floyd, uh, Protest. Um, we can take it all the way back to um, what was that thing that happened in the early aughts? Uh, actually, it happened while, nope, nope, I am correct myself. It happened during the Obama presidency. Um, okay. Occupy Wall Street, yes, Occupy. And I think I, this may be a reach, but I'm drawing, and I'm sure it goes through a lot of dark money, but I'm drawing a connection between this moment that you're describing miles and and people recognizing there are things we can do people are seeing that there's things we can do to to, to make things better and they don't they won't harm anyone uh, but I think with the neoliberals in charge and pretending that they're it's them or the fascists uh that little narrow aisle down the middle of whatever um I draw a connection between that and these, this ginned-up vaccine battle, and and it's and you can also draw the same the same tentacles are reaching into this critical race theory thing because if you go to these things and this this is something I, I don't I don't think it's uh, being pointed out by most of the mainstream journalists but a lot of the independent journalists are pointing out that a lot of the loudest voices at these things especially the ones against critical race theory being taught in schools, they're not even, they don't even live in these school districts. They're being bussed in or f- flown in. So, the, so this, is a, this is an astroturf thing. And, and that doesn't mean there aren't local people who are jumping in on it, who are, you know, allowing themselves to be led by the nose on it. But I, I'm suggesting that this is a reaction or a, I don't know if this is, we can even call this a preemptive reaction. There, there's a sense that the the peasants are getting restless and a one way to deal with that is to, in this country, especially the easiest way to do that when the, when the rich white, when people, when the rich, when the poor white people and the working white people start getting mad at the rich white people, what do we do? We throw them a bone, we throw them some red meat. That's what lynching was all about in the South and, and for a couple hundred years or so, the the that was, you know, um, we could say that slavery was a thing in the South, but it was black people weren't exactly welcome in the North either. I mean, there was always a westward expansion, of slaughtering the the genocidal campaign against them. Well, these were release valves; these were escape valves. Not only were they woven into the fabric of what this country has become, but also the, the the rise of capitalism in this country. There were winners and losers, and one way to keep the losers from grabbing pitchforks and taking down the the winners is to give them another target. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing now with this vaccine, this vaccine, uh, fake vaccine argument and the critical race theory thing. People are being given this red meat to chew on because it's, the thinking is, and that's what I was thinking, Ben, when you were saying it was dividing the labor from their, I was thinking it's more or less um, helping divide much of the labor class from their own senses. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, it, it's I, I don't think it's accidental that we're in this crisis moment, that there are all these solutions mm-hmm. available, that people are seeing their solutions available, and that we're, we're also seeing all these loud vo- and organized voices standing up and arguing what seem like nonsensical positions, but which... If you look at the history of this country and who runs the country who pays you know who owns things and what they seem to always want it makes perfect sense
2: Mm -hmm. miles your thoughts about that
3: you you said it very well sam Uh, i think it is a release valve and i think that that's uh we've seen it time and time again even in recent history honestly i mean if you think back to the tea party protests that you know came off around that same era as occupy um, that defined our political debate and our political culture for for years, and it's certainly the reason that the Democrats were demolished in the twenty ten midterms. And it's because people got ginned up at that point around this idea. Of, for one thing really racist stuff about, you know, immigrants are getting money and everything. But they more so uh, associated with the rescue package that Obama passed with the bank bailouts and TARP, which also the Obama administration did help to shepherd through after the Bush administration started it. Um, And I think so people were confused in a way, but then they also turned towards the side of hyper-deficit hysteria and, you know, being concerned about inflation and everything. And that became the kind of um, cultural fight to have was that, you know, we need to um, get our fiscal house in order or something. And it ended up actually defending the same type of austerity policies that were hurting the same people that were, you know, be going to, even though it, that was another AstroTurf campaign, the whole Tea Party and supported by rich, uh, um, you know, business businessmen and women. Ultimately, it was participated in by, you know, the Republican rank and file. Um, Now it's a little different because there seem to be, at least on a national stage, letting some of these more social welfare expansion policies go through. I mean, Republicans aren't going to vote for them now, but they're not making it the kind of cultural or the kind of national issue you've seen in the past. They're instead choosing to go with vaccines and critical race theory and these other, um, issues because they think they can win on them. They think they could, they still have a chance to kind of define what is going on. And it's harder to come out against a monthly payment, you know, especially when even like Mitt Romney is supporting a child tax thing and whatever. So they've moved on. The problem I think is that people are in a state where they're vulnerable to these types of messages because particularly the fact it's a public health Crisis, and in America, we've had a healthcare crisis forever. But especially, you know, recently, the fact that we, we we're experiencing a pandemic, millions and millions of people don't have access to healthcare because we don't have a national healthcare system. And 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 in fact, what we say, you know, to people that have any kind of vaccine hesitancy or just concerned about it, oh, we'll talk to your doctor about it. Well, what if you don't have a primary care physician or any doctor? Millions and millions of people don't because they don't have access to healthcare. Because they don't have a job and employer sponsored health insurance, and we have no you know, national plan for the uninsured. And so they turned to Facebook MD. You know, they turn to Tucker Carlson, they turn to wherever for their, their information. And that is all the disinfo stuff. And so I think that fits into what you are talking about earlier too, these conversations about vaccine mandates. There's no, you know, there, Fauci has been, you know, turned into a political cudgel now. So like, you know, nobody's trusting anybody in terms of where the um, information comes from. And then when people don't have access to that type of healthcare, which I would consider, you know, part of, if we're gonna be a country that is dealing with the crises at our hands, we should be actually solving this healthcare care crisis. Um, but without any alternative there, you're right, it just turns into another release valve and people start to, you know, get into these fights over, um, over various issues such as vaccines that relate to uh, basic public health. And I think that that's a sad testament to where, um, where our politics is right now.
2: So, Miles, when uh, people, uh, the mainstream media hears uh, commentary like yours or read your articles, uh, they label you as like an a, a economic uh, populist. Uh, and then when they read uh, articles in which... Uh, Or they go to that website that I unfortunately made poor uh, Sam suffer through where uh, the firefighter in L.A. uh, who looks like he should be playing lineman for the Chicago Bears was like weeping at the thought that uh, his his sacred liberties were being violated because he may have to take a shot uh what a joke anyway um they call that what do they call that uh social populism and so like the right has the populism of social what people feel in their hearts and the left uh, has the populism of economics uh do you see that dichotomy yourself between populist social beliefs and populist economic beliefs and who do you think can win that fight
3: I don't really, because I don't think that most people even know what populism is or me. You know, it's just one of those things where it's like rhetoric that is so contested. I, I mean, I think people in, you know, editorial boardrooms might be using that to try to, like, categorize stuff. But I don't think, I mean, there was a populist movement, populist party in our history. I think that, you know, there's a, there's a strong left Uh, history and current uh, that is populist and I think it's wrongly been associated with like extremism basically people will say Trump's a populist and then there's populists on the left that are wackos too or something you know equating them Um, but I don't think that that's the bigger you know issue that's going on but what you just said Ben I think is it gets to the question of freedom right people want their liberties and they want their freedom and they say don't you know, vaccinate me because I want to be free. But how free are you really when you don't have access to health care? You know, how free are you when you don't have money in the bank for when there is an emergency that you need to cover for your health and your family's health? How free are you when you don't have access to affordable housing, you know, and you're stuck living in uh, subpar housing? I mean, that, that to me is a fundamental question of freedom. And I mean, I often get uh, I, you know, say that I believe in uh, democratic socialism and consider myself democratic socialist. What that means is just that I think that uh, the basic tenets of freedom in our society are being able to have access to basic human rights. And I consider those elements part of a human dignified life is to have housing and healthcare and education and all these services provided and other countries have modeled how we can do that. Um, I think the fight is between people that believe that and I think that's more of the country than, you know, we consider to be on the left or socialist or whatever. I think more people do believe that. And then there's a belief that is just pure, rugged individualism that says, no, that's not freedom. Freedom is you're, you know, dirt, shit, poor, whatever, but you can, you know, say screw you to the government over stuff. And that's like based out of grievance. And I get some of that because people are rightly mad at the government over certain things. But the only way to change that, I think, is to have a government that actually shows itself worthy of the, you know, respect of and you know admiration of its people, and to do that, you provide those basic necessities of life. Um, so I think that that's kind of where the um, larger uh, 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 fissures are that you know cause there to be this left-right political dynamic. And the people that are on the right, are, I think, are far more in the minority. They just have the louder mega speakers because they you know can have the funding to control all these uh, the, the media ecosystem.
2: Sam, when you took your stand uh, against Rom in that uh, firehouse ten years ago, which I will never forget. By the way, thank you. Uh, I hope they call. I hope they call you on you to testify at his uh, uh, nomination hearing in the Senate. I would. I would pay your airfare uh, to have you go out there and testify. I think those uh, Democrats need to hear you. Uh, but when you took your stand, uh, for which I will endlessly applaud you, what did your colleagues say? Um, to the point that uh, Miles was just saying that. Uh, that there is sympathy uh toward uh eradicating these injustices what did your colleagues just privately tell you after you stood up to the mayor
0: i didn't hear much in the way of feedback about the substance of what i was saying i did hear a few people here and there you know sort of gave me an attaboy for basically standing up to him but um there were only maybe one or two people who actually commented to me about the substance, about what, what Miles, what you were just talking about at length. Um, And what my friend Harold Crooks described at length in in his movie, um, you know, the the price we pay some years back. Um, I I think taxation, which I know this, uh, to some people, this might seem strange coming from, someone who works in a, you know, public service, a completely taxpayer-funded enterprise. Uh, but I don't think the idea of a LaSalle Street tax is very popular. As a matter of fact, I can say this. Um, there was a woman, I'm, I'm not going to say her name, but she uh, she's on Twitter, and she she tracked me down and asked if I would take some... You know uh, Robin Hood tax materials to my union and I actually have a connection at, at the teachers union and I was going to pass them along to them too. Well I did just that and I, I brought it to the union meeting and I stood up when it was time for you know public comments and I had the materials printed out and I had several copies and I handed them to the union president he was very cordially says you know, we're gonna look into this. I, I, mean, I gave a brief explanation of why I thought it was a good idea. And there's very smart people, not like me, but really smart people who actually have plotted all this stuff out and and they can you know so I haven't heard back from him this was a few months ago. I haven't heard back from him, and um i I know they got a lot of things on their plate uh right now right now, and they usually do but I'll be honest i I don't think most of the membership thinks of this thing as a positive. I think most of them are like my colleague who um when, when when we were being told that we had to do this, uh, uh, what was it called? A health maintenance thing? Not a health maintenance thing. It was um, it was some weird thing where there was this company that the city contracted to, where we had to, you know what I'm talking about, Ben? I
2: know exactly. It was, I wrote about it. Yeah, that was one of Rams' right. things. Yeah.
0: Right. And he was he got really upset, and he said, "I don't want the government involved in my health care." This is what he said. This is what he said. And then I looked at him and I said, bro, you are the government. And he looked at me like I'd call him a pedophile. <laughs> so so this, is, this is the mentality. Unfortunately, and we're talking about firefighters and I'm guessing it's very similar with cops. Uh, sure we're a union, sure we're public employees and we're pretty well paid, but I don't think you're gonna find many who could be mistaken for lefties in these unions, Uh, they tend to be very, very conservative in their politics. So when you're talking about things like a progressive tax or a tax on, on the, on uh, these exchanges and certain transactions, I can explain it to people or I can point it to somebody who can explain it better than me. But I think ideologically, there's a lot of landlords. There's a lot of guys who are into cryptocurrency. There's a lot of guys who play the stock market. On my job, it's not their thing. So they, they might have liked that I stood up to the mayor, but the rest of it went in one year and out the
2: other. Yeah, that, that's my estimation, yeah, because that's just the nature of the beast. those are Chicago firefighters he's talking about are fairly well off relatively speaking relatively speaking guys I'm not saying you're rich I'm just like compared to like a reader writer okay Uh, (laughs) (laughs) or in these times writer Uh, Uh, so Miles you you When you hear what Sam has to say, uh, you think about uh, some of the politicians that have emerged uh, since that moment when he confronted Rahm. That was 2012. Think about it. uh, AOC, uh, you know, here in the city council, we have, what, six uh, Democratic socialists. You have to be a little more optimistic about the future, I hope, right?
3: Well, and I do think that the work we do is incredibly important, Ben. But we should admit we are not running into burning buildings here, you know, in our lefty media world so you know
2: (laughs) good point
3: just should say that much um but yeah i mean i think that uh, i think sam's completely right i think they're you know especially in an issue as complex and obscure as a the south street tax on financial transactions i mean we can try to put it into as much you know, normal language as possible, like put a penny tax on the each transaction and help that'll, you know, help to fund schools or uh, public safety or what have you. But it's hard, you know, to get that message across and nowhere was that better on display, I think, than in the uh, fight over the um, progressive income tax in Illinois, which failed. And um, and it failed. I think largely because of a massive opposition campaign that was incredibly well funded that um, just freaked people the hell out. It was also a really poorly written ballot measure. I would have to say, you know, the way it was presented to voters was was not great. Um, but there just wasn't tons of public uh, information or. You know, even organizing around it, certainly not in much of the state. Um, and so I think that there is a long way to go in terms of if we're going to try to get these things up for popular referendum when it comes to taxation, it's a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of education, but also organizing and getting people out to, you know, be supportive of it. Because I do think that people want to see there to be a more equitable tax system. I mean, it polls as one of the highest, you know, supported public policy measures um, for years and years, taxing wealthy people and taxing corporations to fund services. So I don't think it's the principle that we don't have enough people on board for, but it's when you get down at the actual policies that said, you don't need, you know, co- uh, there's nothing wrong with having our elected representatives pass these policies anyway, like on their own Not you know, you don't need to have a ballot measure support for every single policy fix. We have, you know, representatives in Congress that are, elected to do you know the work of the people and if what the people want is to raise taxes on the rich to fund services then they should do that and we should be pressing them to do that regardless of you know having to win people over one by one the other thing i'll say is that 2021 is going to go on record as the year most likely with the lowest poverty rate on record and people will ask how that is and it's because of you know those programs that we were talking about earlier that were passed in the wake of uh, of this pandemic whether it's the um direct payments or the monthly tax credit. Uh, This is radically lowering poverty in the U.S. That's a huge achievement. And I think what it proves is that poverty, the levels of poverty we have in this country are and always have been a choice. And they're a choice that are made by our, um, you know, policymakers in Washington and in state houses across the country that decide we're going to allow there to be endemic poverty. We're going to allow there to be massive swelling inequality in this country because it still serves the interests, you know, and that people aren't like you know, revolting, you know, under the current situation. But there's no reason it has to be that way. We could have these policies on in place long term, you know, we can be investing in uh, the working class in this country rather than just funneling money upwards and actually solve the issue of poverty. I mean, that said, it's not like everybody's doing great. You know, getting above the poverty line does not mean hitting the jackpot. It just means people have a little bit more stability and there's still a yawning gap between them and, uh, and the richest Americans. But I think it's all goes to show like that this is it's a choice and we could make a different choice um and that's going to be a a you know, animating our politics for a while, I think, is is the reality that we've now shown that we can pass programs that actually help people, and I think people are going to be pretty. It's good, it's going to change the um, you know the kind of tectonics of how these debates occur in Washington going forward. And like you said, Ben, of course, I'm uh, you know uh, happy, even optimistic about the fact that we have not just left-wing leaders now in Congress and in the city council, but people that came out of movement activism, you know, that that are connected to on-the-ground grassroots organizing, because those are people that actually understand the day-to-day. You know, they come out of working-class backgrounds. They come out of those types of communities and spaces. They understand what's going on. You look at Rashida Tlaib. She's helping to lead the fight against Rahm Emanuel's uh, ambassadorship. Uh, she's from Detroit. She's not even from Chicago, but she's seen how destructive his career has been, and she's a movement leader who's now in Congress. I mean, that is a completely different dynamic than we had in, you know, the 2006 Blue Dog years when Rahm Emanuel himself was bragging about electing all these Democrats to Congress, and those Democrats just sold out working people, you know, the same way, and then they got kicked out of office and replaced by Republicans anyway. It's it, it, it's a different day here. You still have, you know, a government that is not representative i think of uh, of people because of so many anti-democratic structures in the system but yeah we're in a much better place than than we were a few years ago
2: all right let's close this conversation with the topic you just raised and love to get both of your thoughts on this pretty much everybody comes on the show for the next couple weeks is going to be hit with this question and if you come on more than once miles you're going to be hit with it uh, twice or three times rahm emanuel's uh nomination to the um to be ambassador to Japan. We had a discussion yesterday. Uh, to, I urge everybody, if you missed that show, to check it out. Delmarie Cobb and Norman Solomon were strongly advocating against uh, Rams, uh being proved as, as a tra- ambassador to Japan. And Monroe Anderson, my dear friend, was saying it's not a, a fight worth having. I think it's a, a, a tremendously important, I have to disagree with Monroe, for tre- tremendously important symbolic fight, if nothing else, about what the... Democratic Party uh, stands for and how far they're willing to stand uh, on issues about You could talk about funding government, funding education, funding mental health clinics, but also bearing evidence of murder, which I think that in and of itself should be the killer to his uh, nomination. Uh, uh, Miles, you named the people who were taking the stand uh, against Rahm. The reality in Chicago is that uh, with the exception of the Democratic Socialists in the city council, all of our elected officials are rallying around. Rom. And one thing that really drives me crazy, and Sam knows where I'm going with this, is just like the the mindset of Chicagoans. They just they just fall in line and they just they'll march themselves off a cliff. There is. Bad at megaheads. They pretend they're smarter and better than megaheads. Miles Conflaston and Sam Holloway. But I watch them year after year, just fall in line. Whatever the powers that be tell them, that's what they do. Dick Durbin, our senator; Tammy Duckworth, our other senator; Mayor Lori Lightfoot. They're all supporting Mayor Rahm, falling in line. This is a guy who held concealed evidence of a murder. Miles Conflaston. If that does not disqualify you from a, an important position like ambassador to Japan. I don't know what does your thoughts on what this says about Chicago and our, our power elite. Well, uh,
3: it's a big club and we're not in it. I think uh, is what it says. Um, I definitely want to hear what uh, Sam's take on all this, but you know, I, I agree that there's um, there's nobody more ill suited for this moment. You know, even within the Democratic caucus um, to represent what's going on in terms of the shifting dynamics of the country, our country's politics and specifically um, Democratic Party politics than Rahm Emanuel. This is, you know, if there ever was a yesterday's man, it's him. I mean, he everything he staked his career on building is now being turned away from, whether it's these free trade deals that he was the architect of, like NAFTA that, you know, massively outsourced jobs. Um, whether it's the cutting welfare, which now we're doing the opposite of, we're finally you know trying to invest in welfare through the um, Bernie Sanders budget bill that's going through, um, and you know on time after time he's just been proven to be out of step with where people want to go uh, in this uh, in, in this country, in this party, and in this city. But you're right; he's always also been like the coronated guy that everybody thinks is going to, I remember back in 2011, I don't know if you remember this, Ben, but I, when he was first running, Der Daly um, uh, said he wouldn't run again and Rom became the anointed candidate. Obviously he was um, friends with Obama, having been on his chief of staff, but people in Chicago, what I would hear was, oh, he's going to help the city because he knows Obama and that's going to help everybody, you know? So we just got to get, we know Rom's not great. But he'll get he'll have ear we'll have an ear to the White House and we'll get all this funding and deal with our issues. What happened? That didn't that never happened. And then the same damn thing happened in 2015. And now I think that's like, what's going on again As if Rom out being an ambassador in Japan is going to (laughs) help the city of Chicago. somehow. it's completely absurd, but it's, you know, we keep getting sold the same story. Oh my God. You're right. And you're right. People do fall. Do people do fall. I do, I don't, where's, where's Chewy on this though? I have not seen where Jesus uh, Garcia stands on the, um, the question of Rom, but I know he's, you know, in with his, uh, buddies in the squad, mm-hmm. which is great. Um, and they're all, you know, Jamal Bowman, Rashid Slade, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, they are adamantly opposed to, um, to Rom's selection. So it'll be oh, interesting to
2: see. I, I think I know where Chewy is. Chewy, come on. Don't hide under my table. Come on out <laughs> from under the table. I Chewy's <laughs> hiding under the table. Oh God, this is nervous. Uh, <laughs> By the way, that was a great riff. You're so right. When you were going through with that line that they fed, I had Chicagoans tell me stuff, Oh, miles and Sam. They tell me these things, like bread from their experience, but this is how the system works. You get a guy in there like Rom, he could deliver for you. I oh, mean, he hasn't delivered for anybody but himself. Chicagoans, guys fall for anything. Sam Holloway, your thoughts. You're the man who went toe-to-toe with Rom. Uh, your thoughts on this. Well, I, I
0: um, what's the, the, the Latin phrase? Qui bono, who benefits? Who benefited from ROM? A lot of people in this city did. A lot of people in my neighborhood did. Property values here are very high. Uh, we could com- there are people who will complain about their property taxes in this neighborhood openly, but privately. They probably don't like it, but they'll pay it because it keeps the riffraff out. And ROM Emanuel was the kind of guy who will keep the riffraff out. His policies were, it was a quintessential neoliberalism. Well, I shouldn't even say that. It's, it's it's the, he represents that sort of kind of fuzzy transition from neoliberalism to, I don't know, pre proto fascism. Um, and Lori Lightfoot is a more ham fisted version of the same. Um, so a lot of people benefit from that. They may not like his style, but they like the results. Black people, poor black people leaving the city, or working class black people leaving the city. Real estate values going up in a lot of neighborhoods. Uh, that's a net good for a lot of people, especially the investor class. Rom's going to be rewarded for that. Um, and it's about power. And if you don't like it, what are you going to do about it? Who's going to pay a p- political price for supporting this? That's the question. If it's really that bad, bad a thing, who's going to pay for it? Um, th- they paid $5 million to the family of, of that poor kid that the po- police murdered. Laquan McDonald. And the, yeah, Laquan McDonald. And they, they kept it quiet long enough. It was a very effective tactic. And what did he wind up doing? He wound up quitting. I mean, what, what, what consequences did Rama Manuel pay for doing that? virtually not he just he left a job maybe a a term sooner than he would have now he's going to get rewarded Mm -hmm. it's about power who benefits and we have to ask ourselves as citizens and i already know what a lot of people are going to what their answer is but personally myself um what kind of society do i want to live in and what am i willing to do to get there what am I willing to abide to get there? Well, Rahm Emanuel don't make it for me, but he makes it for a lot of people. They may not have been too bar- broken up to see him go, but I don't think there's a lot of hatred for him where, you know, outside of this room here. Um, I know a lot of my neighbors probably, some of them may not care for him, but again, the property values are still high. So, and again, who, who benefits and who actually suffered under Rahm? The yeah. people who matter. Who, who matters?
2: By the way, Miles. And, that's, Ronan, what, and
0: that's what the Democrats are telling us.
2: Yeah. Uh, the Democrats are telling us. Uh, this, this is a classic. What they're ultimately telling us, and Sam knows, is just shut up. Just shut up. That's what they're telling the rank and file of the Democratic Party. They're just saying shut up. We're doing this. Okay? And they got Nancy Pelosi on board. Uh, Jim Clyburn from South Carolina. He's on board. All the powers of the be. Just shut up. And uh, we will give you some of Bernie's proposals, but you got to shut up and go along with this. And I just don't see like the real hardcore lefties shutting up on this one. And and Miles, you got to know this Sam and I are neighbors so I frequently see him when he's walking his dog and we have these long conversations as we bump into each other. I got a visit uh, on the eve of the election in 2015 from two precinct captains from the same organization that represent uh, as represent me. And their pitch to me, this is to Sam's point, was uh, that if Chewy Garcia wins, he's going to raise your property tax. That's what they said. You're going to raise your property tax pointing at me and give it to the unions. Okay, that's what he said. And I'm like, which union? Because, and then I said, my neighbor, Sam, who you should go meet, is a member of the Firefighters Union, and they just cut a deal with Rom where they got their contract, and then in turn, they endorsed Rom. So are you saying the firefighters don't deserve a contract and a raise? And he was like, habba, habba. I go, let's go to Sam's house right now, and you tell Sam that. And then he came clear. No, the teachers. That's what he said, Sam. He goes, the teachers. And I'm like, man, my Democratic Party is so screwed up because this guy was representing Miles Kampflasson, the local Democratic Party. And that was the kind of idiocy coming out of the mouths of ROM supporters uh, back in 2015. So I do believe uh, Sam is absolutely correct. This is a power play. And the powerful people in the Democratic Party are telling people like Sam Holloway and Miles Kahnflasen to shut up. So, Miles, do you think it'll work? Do you think uh, Rom will get the votes he needs to be our next ambassador?
3: Well, it brings up an interesting question, which is who's going to vote where? You know, I think that, that if, if there's an icon, one of my favorite moments from the 2016 primary campaign with Bernie Sanders running against Hillary Clinton was, um, you know, right before the primary came into Chicago for the uh, Illinois primary, uh, Rahm was still, uh, you know, a, a powerful person at, the, at that time, 2016, um, said he was going to endorse Hillary Clinton. And they're still in the, you know, in the thick of the primary. And Bernie Sanders said, I am extremely proud not to have the endorsement of Rahm Emanuel a mayor who was covered up, uh, you know, murder, because this was still in the wake of Laquan McDonald. Rahm was, you know, powerful, but still already a little toxic because of that. Uh, Bernie's now in the Senate and will be, you know, a vote to potentially confirm or not confirm uh, uh, Rahm Emanuel. So it'll be very interesting to see uh, what happens there. But I'm with you. I think that you have, you know, the best take on this, uh, Ben, which is that he's under oath. Rahm's finally going to be under oath. You know, who knows how he'll respond to that situation. He might still duck and dodge or, you know, whatever. Uh, but he's finally going to be put on the stand to answer for some questions. It's unfortunate we won't have people like, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Rashida slave. Tlaib- questioning him but we will have at least bernie sanders and maybe some other more um you know adversarial questioners on the stand hopefully even some of these republicans will you know take something out on rom and make him answer for his crimes you know while he was the mayor of the city of chicago he took part in activity that certainly um, was not above board when it came to Laquan McDonald, and the Chicago Police Department, but also when it came to, you know, shuttering 50 public schools and handing privatizing contracts and doing, you know, leaving the city in financial ruin essentially. Um, yeah. So I, I can only hope that we're going to see uh, some some real harsh questioning uh, right now I don't know if the votes are going to be there to defeat him because he might have some friends on the Republican oh, yeah. side uh, that'll support him Mitt because Rom's they politics he might call himself a Democrat but you know in Chicago you can be a Republican and still call yourself a Democrat basically you know,
2: he, So he, he's a Mitt Romney Republican and uh, Mitt Romney will probably support him which will block Bernie's vote so we'll see where Elizabeth Warren uh, stands and MAGA, MAGA's such a joke and Sam knows where I'm going with this MAGA is such a freaking joke they always like us to act how tough they are with Democrats and grill them. Well, they kind of MAGA supports. I mean, that's where they're coming from. They police every single instance. So they would support the, the shooting of Laquan McDonald. So if you question Rom too hard about Laquan McDonald and you're undercutting that central argument that they make, which is police are always right. Absolutely every time. So I'm really curious to see how MAGA is going to handle this. If they don't, they'll be right with Chewy under this desk hiding out because nobody takes a freaking stand in this country anymore. Sam Holloway knows I'm telling the truth here. Uh, and um, but I'm not going to let it die. I just got to tell everybody David Sirota is coming on this show. Uh, and uh, he is the uh, radical uh, uh, journalist. Used to work as a, a um, press secretary for Bernie Sanders. And now he runs his own website. He's done a lot of great investigations into Rom. He's been against Rom long before it was fashionable. It goes back to the fights they had in the O's when Rom was head of the Democratic uh, Congressional Caucus. So we'll see. We'll see where it, it goes. But uh yeah, I'm not giving up on it, uh, Miles. I just think it is an important symbolic. I'm
3: glad you're still on ROM watch. We need, we need somebody out here.
2: <laughs> Sam, he's right there with me. <laughs> Sam's right there with Like I said, Sam Holloway, the only man I know uh, from the 47th Ward, who went to ROM's face. <laughs> Told him how full of BS he was. All right. Uh, before I let you go, uh, Miles, anything you want to promote? Any In These Times articles that uh, Sam and I should rush, rush out to read before we let you go?
3: Please, well, and you, earlier, Ben, you mentioned that you read some of our stuff through the uh, weekly uh, email digest we, we send out. So you can sign up for that on com. Every Saturday morning you'll get a roundup of all of our headlines from the web, which I, you know, assign and edit and sometimes write. So, you know, that's a great way to stay up to date. i got a piece I'm editing and about to publish uh, today on Hurricane Ida and how it shows that private energy is not. Not fit for handling disaster and climate change, and the private company energy that runs the um, all the energy grid down in New Orleans has failed and you know, FEMA says there's nothing they can do about it because it's a private company. It just shows another of the perils of privatization. So that'll be going up later today. My colleague, Sarah Lazar, who's also sometimes a Ben Jarofsky show guest, uh, has been writing a lot of great stuff on the Afghanistan withdrawal and the importance of, um, you know, getting us out of these forever wars. Um, so we've got tons of coverage on, on, on that and check it out. And also I talked about it last time, but if folks, I, I I didn't give a plug, go to jacobin.com and you can read my article on why we all should have had the month of August right. off. That was another article I wrote recently. So can check that one out on jacobin. We
2: talked about that last week. That was a great article. Yeah. Sam, before we got about five minutes left, you got, uh, why don't you give a shout out, uh, to your favorite, uh, uh, blogger that you talk to me about all the time.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, uh Nina Illingworth always, I'm always going to hype her because everyone should read her. Um, just look it up, ninaillingsworth.com. Go for
2: it. Very good. All right. That's Sam Holloway, uh, fire, fire extraordinary, and uh, uh, unafraid to tell like it is leftist. And Miles Conflassen, uh, ace uh, journalist for In These Times. Thank you both for being on the show. Uh, and also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Miles and Sam will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. They can <laughs> That's all right. Fun. See you tomorrow, everybody.